Outcomes Rocket Nation, Saul Marquez here. I want to talk to you about growing your practice. Fullscript is a virtual dispensing platform that helps practitioners dispense professional-grade supplements, improve patient adherence, and grow their practice from anywhere. When you write prescriptions, they're sent to your patients via text or email, and when they place an order, their supplements get shipped right to their door, eliminating your inventory costs. It's loaded with features like EHR integration to save time, patient wellness content to stay top of mind, and adjustable profit margins to control revenue. It integrates with your way of working and with your patients' day-to-day lives. Best part of it all, it's free. So try Fullscript today. If you're considering adding supplements to your treatment plans, visit fullscript.com rocket for an extensive guide on supplements and drug nutrient depletion and interactions. Visit fullscript.com rocket. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Yerun Tas. He's a Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer of Royal Phillips, a position he's held since February 2017. Yerun is an experienced global executive and entrepreneur with a track record of leading innovation in healthcare, information technology, and financial services industries. He clearly sees the tremendous value that information technology and data can add to managing health. Leading the company's global innovation and strategy organization, he's responsible for M&A strategy planning, R&D solution design, medical affairs, sustainability technology platforms, ventures, and emerging businesses. He's in charge of creating a pipeline of innovation in their various businesses that Philips covers within healthcare. They are focused on delivering on the quadruple aim, which is improving health outcomes, improving patient experience, staff satisfaction, and lowering the cost of care. And in my interview with Yerun, he dives deep into how they're doing that with some great examples that you will enjoy. He's a respected thought leader and was responsible for turning around Philips' healthcare IT business and has been instrumental in establishing HealthSuite as a new open industry standard for the healthcare Internet of Things cloud platform. Yaron joined Philips in 2011, leading IT worldwide as Group Chief Information Officer. In 2014, he became CEO of Philips Healthcare, Informatics Solutions and Services, overseeing digital health and clinical informatics. From 2016, he led the company's connected care and informatics business, demonstrating a passion to create new models of people-centric healthcare based on the power of information technology. Before joining Philips, Yerun co-founded and served as president, COO, and vice chairman of the board for Emphasis, an IT and business process outsourcing company, which was acquired by HP in 2006. Prior to Emphasis, he was head of transaction technology, Citigroup's uh, tech lab. He was responsible for innovation and development of the bank's customer-facing systems, including internet banking and self-service devices. From 2007 to 8, he was VP and general manager at EDS, responsible for the company's global competency centers. He has been a winner of the ENY Entrepreneur of the Year Award uh, and many more. But uh, in in today's episode, we're going to dive into how it's important to focus on the quadruple aim, but also how diverse mindsets, such as Mr. Toss's uh, uh, diverse mindset and experience across different industries can help us in healthcare and looking at different perspectives to drive the most value for our healthcare dollar and to provide the best 
care for patients. So uh, such a privilege to have Mr. Tas on the podcast today. Yerun, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, really pleasure to be there. So, so Yerun, what an incredible uh, uh, just work that you do. Uh, you know, I had a chance to, to really, uh, you know, connect with you a little bit further when we were in Vegas together uh, for the health meeting. Yeah, but, but, but what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there we go. Let's change topics. <laughs> you know, Irun, I'd love if you could just share uh, what inspires your, your work in healthcare. Well, I, I think like all of us, we have personal stories and uh, we have personal stories when it's related uh, to health. And, um, you know, uh, what really motivated me to, to get into healthcare is when my daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and, uh, and uh, she was rushed to the hospital and spent a couple of days in the ICU. And um, I think it confronted me with uh, the way healthcare is organized. It confronted me with how technology is used. And um, my reaction was, wow, this, this can be so much better. You know, and my daughter regularly says, I'm, I'm actually the, the care coordinator because you know, diabetes is a complex disease with complications and um, there are mental aspects to it as well. And she says, I, I kind of have to coordinate between care disciplines. And I'm also the data aggregator because every time I go somewhere, I need to carry my files and explain what uh, what has happened. And, and then one of my best friends actually got diagnosed with uh, pancreas cancer last year. And, mm. um, um, he completely recovered, so that's the good news. Wow. But uh, that's great. But his his experience was also one of you know, I don't know exactly what's going on here. I I'm sent from one person to the other, and uh, and you know every day you get confronted with, hey, you know this could have been way way better. This could have been much more personalized, much more based on who I am, my history. Um, it could be much better coordinated. And I think we all have these personal stories, you know, in this case, my daughter, one of my best friends I experienced last year, the last month in my father's life, and uh, actually how clunky the healthcare system was dealing with end-of-life patients, and I can go on. And this motivates me to uh, basically enable a way better system that's really organized around the needs of patients or consumers rather or people actually why don't we call it human-centered care because it's all about us as humans and how can we still tap into the deep deep knowledge that that many of the providers the professionals have but in a much better way and i experienced it myself 25 years ago when i was leading uh, Citibank's tech lab and we started looking at how can technology help us get way better insight in people's financial needs and how can we organize around those financial needs. Um, and that has set about a big change in the way the banking system actually uh, was organized. How can we create shared networks? And I see similar needs in, in healthcare today and I hope I can bring some of that experience that I build up in financial services and some of the hands-on experience as a father with a daughter 
with a chronic disease in you know creating a little bit better healthcare system using technology in a way that truly creates better outcomes not just for the patients but also for the professionals who spend a lot of time on administrative tasks or tasks that have, don't have directly to do with dealing with patients in making patients better and you know more efficient system where actually professionals have access to the best information they need to do a diagnosis, select the treatment and guide the treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I, I, I really appreciate you sharing the story of your daughter and your friend. I mean, at the end of the day, healthcare is personal. And, you know, a lot of people use the word consumerism, uh, healthcare consumerism, right? That's a buzzword today. But you used uh, the, the, the theme human-centered care. And, and, you know, around this topic of human-centered care for both the, the provider and the, and the patient, I'd love to hear more about how you and, and the, the work at Philips, what you guys are doing to add value uh, to the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, and clearly uh, it's, it's a tall order to, to really make an impact there. And, but we, we started with simple things. And it sounds simple, but doing it is hard. So, so we basically said we were creating these propositions, either, you know, um, let's say in connected care where we want to give um, ICU uh, intensivists and nurses the right tools to better understand their patients identify deteriorating patients, or we look at diagnosis and want to give you know, cardiologists and oncologists a more precise insight. But what we said is all these propositions should be measurable in four dimensions. And uh, these dimensions are well known in healthcare. It's called the quadruple aim. So can we prove that this proposition actually leads to a better health outcome? Um, can we prove that this proposition actually creates a better experience for the patient? Can we prove that the proposition makes the care more efficient and can impact the cost positively? And then lastly, can we prove that this proposition creates a better experience for the healthcare professional? Now, that framework is super simple. You know, it's, it's four things you have to measure. Um, actually doing it is harder. Um, but it becomes really interesting if you say, articulate your value proposition in these terms. What are the claims you're going to make here? And then show me the evidence that you're actually going to deliver that. And then once you install the proposition, continue to collect that evidence and, and show how you can help our customers create better outcomes. Now, for instance, I, I can take something as simple as an you know, an MR, you know, everybody knows that taking a, an image in an MR is not a very pleasant experience because you're in the machine for 20 minutes, sometimes 25 minutes is very noisy. Mm-hmm. So we started looking at it differently. So how can we use technology to reduce the time you spend in an MR? And we started applying artificial intelligence to that. And we see tremendous opportunity to reduce scan time. So we already launched a proposition that reduces scan time by 30 to 50%, but we're, we're not Great. done yet. So, but that's not enough. So that, that's already a major step. But what if the machine adjusts to the patient? Because right now the patient has to breathe in a certain way to get the right image. Mm-hmm. So we put in a camera and we detect the breathing patterns of the patient and we actually take the image at the right time. So 
the machine actually uh, adjusts to the patient. What if we can give them a, a virtual reality experience that gives them a wide open space instead of a confined space? What if we now can use like that idea. Our artificial intelligence to help people set, do, reduce setup times and find the right protocols? What if we can use artificial intelligence to help reconstruct the image, but also detect the disease on the, on the image? So now you're trying to improve on all these aspects, better patient experience, shorter time, better experience for the technician to set it up. Better experience for the radiologist. You don't have to send images back. Way more efficient system, shorter time, more studies a day. But it changed the way we define our propositions. The same for you know, our minimally invasive cat labs. What if we can help them do more procedures a day? What if we can help them optimize their full operations and make sure that the patients are better prepped as they go in for a cat lab procedure? What if we can help these patients when they leave the cat lab and recover much better and faster? So we're looking at all these dimensions that sometimes, you know, change a proposition and sometimes add a, a different perspective on a proposition. And once you say, hey, these outcomes are really important and let's optimize around those outcomes, it's also easier to explain. But also once you have an MR in the field, or you have a cat lab that keeps learning and keeps guiding the, the staff better and keeps helping stratify patients better, you create ultimately better outcomes for everybody. But it is kind of a, a different perspective on, on your proposition, on you know how you continuously improve on it and how you continuously guide the professional and the patients to better outcomes. Yeah, uh, you know, Yaren, I I love the the just the focus around the quadruple aim. You you can't go wrong with that, and and like you said, it's 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 easier said than done. So when you guys deploy innovations or or you know different ideas on product iterations, do you look to do all four each time, or or do you look to tackle one or another? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, well, we tried to address all of them. Um, uh, and I think we can, uh, right. if you put your mind to it, because I think they're all important. And, and obviously, the better the experience. So th there's also a relationship, obviously. The better the experience for the professional, they have the right information tuned to them with uh, with the right tools therefore they can make the best diagnosis select the best treatment we can guide the patient better in that treatment it all will lead to better outcomes and and also at lower cost um, mm. but sometimes it's hard and for instance if you say there's some principles that that apply to everything the first principle is the more we know about the patient and the more we understand the longitudinal view of that patient, the better we can select the right diagnostics or the right therapy. But how do you get that information? How do you make sure that information is fully contextualized and ready to be used? Um, you know, in a health system where data doesn't really flow that well you know it can be hard to actually create something that can live up to its full potential so so there are a lot of enablers that are important you know 
because an MR machine doesn't live in isolation, a cat lab doesn't live in isolation, a patient monitor doesn't live in isolation. So what can we do better on the system level to have a secure way for that information to flow better? What we can, you know, sometimes also the way people work will change. If we say, for instance, you know, we can remotely monitor these patients because they have five, six chronic diseases, they live at home, and they're presenting a big load on the system. How can we better help them and guide them at home? You typically look at a different way of working. You need, um, you know, a central remote care hub where you have care teams that work together, but that may be monitoring thousands of patients simultaneously. And they may deal with these patients through two-way video or a phone call. Um, you change the way you practice healthcare. And also the way healthcare gets reimbursed will have to change to get the most out of these new models. So there's a bunch of things that that kind of hold it back and need to address. So are we moving the reimbursement towards those outcomes and therefore make these solutions more relevant? Are these solutions better integrated into a system that enables data to flow better? And are we setting up the care teams in a different way, more multidisciplinary teams dealing with larger numbers of patients, sometimes remotely? And can we support these new ways of, you know, basically practicing medicine? And I think we, we still have to make progress on many of these barriers. Yeah, I would agree. And the amount of time and resources that go into developing, you know, point of care solutions versus tackling that entire spectrum of of the continuum of care, uh, you know, is it varies from organization to organization. What would you say um, makes what Philips does uh, better or or different than what's available today? Well, I, I, you know, maybe we're not better, but clearly we set ourselves a higher goal. So we basically said uh, we're going to be a health tech only company, but we're going to embrace the, the consumer side as well as the professional side, because we believe that to be able to really have a, a, a systemic impact, you really need to understand, you know, people or consumers, whatever you want to call them. But Mm -hmm. We all know that the behavioral aspects, people call them many times, they talk about a social determinants of health. Yes. And, and that's important because it truly determines health. But ultimately, it's, it's the behaviors that, you know, that impact health or disease. And, uh, uh, and I think we will move to a system where the clinical and the behavioral aspects are equally important. So that consumer insight and how consumers, you know, deal with that, I think is something where we were kind of unique in the space. And on the other side, we, we also believe that the days of the point solutions are, are numbered. We still do point solutions because that's still the way many people procure. You know, yes. They procure patient monitors. They don't procure a system to optimize their intensive care unit, optimize your know, length of stay, uh, have early insight in deterioration and avoid mortality through, you know, detecting sepsis or cardiac arrest. That's still not how people procure, but we see movement in that direction. And we believe we, we are ready for that because that's, that's how we look at our proposition. We don't see 
a monitor as a physical box that beeps and that shows graphs. We see a monitor as a manifestation of deep insights in the condition of a patient and the ability to forecast uh, whether the patient is on the right path or not. And that may then lead to an intervention. You know, it's interesting that there are quite a number of hospitals that use our EICU, our telehealth, where we remotely support an ICU. And it's actually quite well accepted, especially in North America. Um, uh, but now imagine what's happening there. There's a number of people sitting behind big screens and they're, you know, they get a camera stream and telemetry from an ICU bed and they can then guide and support nurses that are on call in the ICU at the other side, sometimes literally at the other side of the world. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence that it it creates better outcomes. It gives, you know, good support to those nurses. It's more efficient. Mortality is down. Length of stay is optimized. And it's a well-accepted way to do telehealth. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, why don't we, if we can do that for the sickest patients, why don't we expand that across? Why don't we start doing virtual cardiac care, virtual um, you know, cancer care, virtual mental care. So what we are looking for is is these broader holistic models. And obviously our specific products need to fit in. If you want to do precise diagnosis and see a cancer on an image, quantify it, and then take tissue and you know, do a, mo- a molecular analysis through digital pathology, do a genetic analysis, maybe a liquid biopsy, maybe in the future proteomics. So how do you then bring that all together into a precise profile? And and then the modalities, you know, an MR, CT, they're usually important. But what's really more important is how they all contribute to a much more precise diagnosis where you look at the heart or you look at the cancer from all these perspectives and you characterize it in in detail, and then you're beyond the modality. And and that's what we we really hone into. You know, can we look at cardiac care, not just from the perspective of, you know, a stent or medication, but can we look at it holistically? Can we understand populations at risk? Can we understand people with chronic heart failure, you know, with a history of, cardio problems, maybe people who had a stroke. Can we better understand the risk of these people? Can we then tune the care pathways for those people? And these care pathways are largely outside the hospital because, you know, most of the time you're not in the hospital. How can we link that back to our cardiac informatics, the the workstation that the cardiologist looks at? How can we bring it closer to where patients are by, for instance, using a tablet-based ultrasound where you can detect cardiac disease, press a button and then talk to a cardiologist. If you then need a minimally invasive procedure, maybe insert a stent, and maybe that stent comes from Medtronic or uh, Boston Scientific, or, you know, how can you then create the right ecosystem? If a patient has cardiac arrest, how do you know the closest person who has CPR and uh, where the closest AED is and how to you know, triage that as quickly as possible. How do you know these people that have actually cardiac arrest and can start looking for early? And you know, you know what I'm getting at. We, oh, totally. We start looking at all of these perspectives, and then we say, "Hey, there are all great point solutions, but 
how can we weave them together into yeah. superior cardiac care? And then how can we leverage maybe not what you, not just cardiologists in your regional or local hospital, how can we plug them into a network of the world's best cardiologists? So mm-hmm. that, that's kind of what we're pursuing. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's a fascinating approach, making these deep insights at the system level, while at the same time responding to the market with point solutions, because that's how they procure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you're, you're living <laughs> There's in tension there. <laughs> What's that? There are sometimes tension there, but I think, I think we have to do both. I, I you know, it's yeah. not like, Hey, we're abandoning all our great point solutions because we're, we're going to do the big stuff now. No, you, you have to do both. You just have to make sure that your point solutions actually become a building block for something bigger. Yes. And, you know, I I think that that approach is uh, very forward thinking and uh, and one that I think does distinguish the work that you and the and the team at Philips does. So definitely want to give you guys big kudos for for that. Um, You mentioned the the consumer insights, another aspect that makes you guys unique. Um, It's uh, these things are important in today's in today's healthcare economy. What would you say is is an example of outcomes that have improved or business processes that you guys have helped improve through implementing your technologies or, or solutions? I, I think another, you know, I mentioned what we're doing in the, the catheter labs, the minimally invasive procedures. But uh, I, I think another area I want to highlight is the work we're doing in, uh, in sleep and respiratory care, and okay. specifically in the area of sleep apnea. It's it's a, you know, largely underdiagnosed disease. So only about 20, 20% of people with sleep apnea actually have been diagnosed with it and undergoing sleep therapy. Um, using our, our CPAPs. So we believe there's a huge opportunity to help health systems to better understand their population and actually through the data find out who might be at risk. Then we created a triaging app that actually allows you to answer dynamically a number of questions that can tell us whether you you probably are suffering from sleep apnea or at high risk. And then we can guide you to the right sleep therapist. But also once you undergoing the, the, the sleep therapy, we'll track your sleep and we actually guide, you know, every night we'll guide you on the, the best way to undergo the therapy and, and get you to a better place. So, so we're kind of creating a, a close loop between you know, how can we help you diagnose or detect, link you to the professional system, get you the right mass, the right therapy. During your therapy, how can we give you constant feedback to put you in a better place and avoid any complications uh, associated with the disease? And how can we provide the evidence for that? So the evidence means that, hey, you know, payers, if you do early detection and you do the right therapy, you actually can avoid a whole bunch of downstream costs. And um, hey, patients, if you you really undergo the therapy and you follow the guidance, you will be in a better place. So you will start really controlling your condition. And and I think these these close loop or at least closing the loop between you know uh, diagnosis, the right fit treatment, and and the outcome of that treatment, bringing that back to the way you diagnose or stratify first and then diagnose patient, optimize that, constantly optimize that therapy through feedback 
I think that holds a whole lot of promise, not just for sleep apnea, but virtually any chronic disease. Beyond. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating approach. And are you so th- with this app, you're following the the patient from diagnosis at the hospital to therapy in the home with feedback while they're at home? Exactly. And so awesome. these are are smart CPAPs that not only adjust to your your own breathing patterns, they also give you insights and and guidance on your therapy. And I I think it's a model that 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 really can be extended to other chronic diseases as well. And that's you know, fantastic. You, you, you want to make it smarter and smarter. So yes, it should actually ask you a couple of you know questions every morning that are related to your health. So, you know, we're constantly looking at how can we create these highly engaging care pathways that ask you the right questions that make sure that you follow your therapy, that make sure that the right information gets, you know, almost interpreted on the fly and be presented back as feedback or as an alert to you know, the virtual team that's watching over you and say, hey, this guy needs an intervention because he's dropping out from the therapy or, you know, uh, we see some other indicators that this might go the wrong way. So please intervene now. And and these kind of models are, are well known outside the healthcare industry. In, in the banking world where I come from, we used to identify those customers that had a, a very high risk to move their business or accounts elsewhere. And we preemptively would do an outbound call to, you know, pull them back in and uh, to make sure that they stayed happy. Oh, really? Um, uh, yeah. So I, I think there are many things we can learn from the consumer industry. At Citibank, 25 years ago, we already did uh, real stratification of customers on their financial needs. And we would organize these people in segments with similar needs. And then we would map them to the proposition that we could deliver. You know, you could imagine that this would work really well in healthcare and not just understanding patients from a clinical needs, but an overall outcomes need and then you see for instance going back to these patients that you know may have five or six chronic diseases that are on six medications um, they also happen to be the people that clock up the system you know it's right. the five percent that occupies 50 percent so there are better models and we've seen that in trials where we could dramatically reduce emergency care readmissions give people their lives back and just by remote monitoring and intervening in the right time. And that intervention could be, hey, maybe the neighbor should look into them, or we send a nurse to the home, or we do a two-way video session, or actually we're sending an ambulance. But uh, you know, the idea also that you can create then a care pathway that not only includes professionals, but may even include friends and family. So I think, to be honest, my wife knows more about my daughter's health than any of the professionals. Mm -hmm. So I believe she should be part of my daughter's care team. Yes. Um, But it's just not part of the way we're organized. Um, And I think that mix of uh, friends and family who may have maybe not clinical, but other types of observations that may be highly relevant to the right selecting the right care pathway. And the right care pathway is not just going to be a clinical one. It's going to be a clinical and behavioral one. 
Yeah. And the, I love the idea of, you know, borrowing from other industries and, you know, your work at Citibank, uh, applying it to here. I mean, the, the, um, the concept of being able to identify if a customer is going to leave, <laughs> like that's uh, fascinating to me. Is, is that done? Like what technology is used for that? Is it, is it, uh, it's AI, you know, it used to be BI, but now it's AI. So you basically looking for early indicators of, uh, defection, if you will. So yeah. you can, you, you can see that in certain behaviors. Um, and, and once you know that they basically have a, what's called a retention organization, a retention team, is that right? Whose role is to keep them in and to make sure huh. that they understand why they want to leave. They may even see it before they actually uh, consciously make the decision to leave. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's also... With, That's fascinating. With, uh, it's, but, but it's also what some of the gyms do these days. You know, they, they look at you and I, I get these messages from my gym. So they first send me messages and, uh, and they can see, hey, this guy is starting to drop out. He's not showing up in the gym anymore. Maybe yeah. we should pull him back in. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and, and these things exist, uh, but not, they're not being implemented, right? I mean, we have clinical decision support, right? The mapping of is a patient deteriorating, but uh, it's not quite there the adoption of these technologies. Um, as you, as you uh, think about um, some of the setbacks you've had, what, what would you say is, is one of those key setbacks and, uh, and a learning that you came from, came, that came from it? Well, you know, I had a whole lot of learnings. I, I think the biggest learning I had when I, I got into healthcare technology mm. was that I assumed that new these new technologies would be adopted way faster. That you know, I was not fully aware, to be honest, that how important reimbursement is. You know, the reimbursement code determines everything. Um, so I was looking at it much more from okay, I I see where the opportunity, where the needs are, but I I didn't fully comprehend how the the reimbursement, the reluctance to change, you know, the embedded ways of working, um, I expected it would go faster. So, right. you know, I, I, I look back and say, hey, I was kind of naive in, in that. Maybe because I grew up in financial services and, and IT and, uh, uh, you know, so I was used to industries where things were disrupted quickly and you, you reset quickly and you adopt new ways because if you don't, you don't exist. But that doesn't apply to healthcare. So I got a little bit more careful and before I, I would propose to do anything. I would first look at how much change does this imply? Is the reimbursement system supporting it? Um, where will be the pressure points? So I think my biggest lesson is that healthcare requires you to be a little bit more careful, a little bit more patient and take it a step at a time, um, but still never give up because, you know, in a system where in the U.S. there's well over 20% waste, which is more than the entire GDP of the Netherlands, <laughs> We cannot just sit back and let it happen. I, I think we all have to work towards a way better system. Love it. It's a great, great, uh, great experience and, and share there. And, uh, and so if you think about today, 
uh, Yerun, what would you say you're most excited about today? You know, I, I'm excited about two things that, that I'll give you as an example. And, yes. and they both have to do with what we're doing in, uh, in cancer care and oncology. Okay. You know, I talked earlier about, hey, if you combine what you see on images with what you see in the, in the pathology and genomics and liquid tests, then you get a pretty good profile of the cancer. But then how do you find the right therapy? And we started working with Dana Farber, uh, you know, implementing their cancer pathways. And then we started working with MD Anderson on some of their, their content, you know, their deep knowledge and uh, content on cancer. Because here's something that, that struck with me when I met the CEO of, uh, of Dana Farber. She said that, you know, interestingly, most of our patients are coming from the greater Boston area. And she said, we're truly one of the world's top cancer hospitals. But she said, 85% of all cancers are diagnosed and treated in community hospitals. Mm -hmm. And there's just no way they can keep up with what's happening in this space. You know, the diagnostic, the, the therapies that are coming so complex. And then she said, what if we could give any hospital access to all that we know? And we can, you know, they can use their diagnostic capability. Their oncologists can tap into our pathways. They could actually even do a, a virtual tumor board. We could raise the quality of cancer care around the world. So I got thinking about it. Say, wow, if, if we can pull this off, we can basically give any hospital access to world-class cancer care. Yes. And then... I, I was in our lab and, and our team showed me something that blew me away. They said that, okay, if you have a high probability of lung cancer, you just come into our lab, we'll diagnose you on the spot, we'll use AI to assess and quantify the disease. And actually, if it's early stage, we can go and treat it there and then. We can ablate the cancer in so we can take a, a nodule and, and freeze it. or um, So it essentially means you come in, the machine diagnoses you and treats you at the same time. Hmm. And that, that made me think of that movie, Elysium. I don't know if you if you see it. Uh, I haven't. What's the name of it? It's Elysium? called Elysium. Okay. And they, they have this machine. You go in, it diagnoses you and it treats you. Hmm. And uh, and I said, wow, this is this is like that movie, like the movies, <laughs> where you, you come in, you get diagnosed, you actually get treated. So if I look at what we still can do in the space of these minimally invasive procedures, and uh, you know the quality of care that that is applied there, uh, you know I get extremely optimistic about what we can do in cancer care. And, and I, I, I really believe in the next couple of years, we'll see a whole lot of progress there. And if we, through these platforms, can truly democratize, uh, you know, access to quality cancer care, I think it will have a huge impact on the world. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I'm really, really excited about. Yeah, and it's a big problem, right? And if we could do that, I mean, that just, uh, I, I share your excitement, Jeroen. What what would you say um, is the book that you would recommend to people uh, listening today? Well, there, there are a couple of 
really good healthcare uh, related books. Uh, you know, Eric Topol is is one of the great writers and a good friend. Atul Gawande is an absolutely great writer and uh, and friend. He you know he wrote uh, the checklist manifesto that helped me rethink uh, what we could do to really help specialists in uh, in their care. But the book that you know takes it uh, a couple of levels up is. Uh, uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by uh, Harari. Oh, um, yeah. uh, so he's the guy who also wrote um, Sapiens. Uh, Sapiens and uh, uh, Homo Deus. And uh, uh, I listened to him again uh, last month in Davos. And, uh, you know, the way he looks at the world and the impact of technology. Sometimes it's it's a little bit dystopian, but I think his, his insights are spot on. and. I learn a lot from that. I also learn a lot about what we need to watch for to really keep technology to be on our side and not start working against what makes a human. What a great recommendation, uh, Yarun. It's uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Harari. And folks, uh, you can go to outcomesrocket.health in the search bar, type in either Phillips or type in Yarun, which is J-E-R-O-E-N. Or you could type in his last name, Tas, T-A-S, and uh, the show notes will pop up with links to our conversation, links to the book that he's recommended, as well as the full transcript of our discussion. Um, Yerun, this has been a ton of fun. I've uh, really enjoyed this. I'm sure the listeners are, are as well. Leave us with the closing thought and, um, and the best place where, where the listeners could follow you and uh, get in touch. Well. I, I would say my thought is almost obvious. I, I, I think we we really are at a point where we can dramatically improve access to care and the quality of care by, by using technology wisely in the right system. So I think it's up to us to, to get us there and, and we can do it. Um, I love to continue this dialogue with anybody. Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I regularly post blogs and um, I, I love it when people give me comments and feedback. Also, I love it when they don't agree with me because uh, the best way to learn more is by being challenged and, uh, and always learn from somebody else's perspectives. Well, uh, Jeroen, I, I love what you post. You know, I'm, I'm always... I follow the stuff you put on there. So folks, I would recommend if you're not following the work that uh, Yerun does, it's uh, very thought-provoking uh, and, and always uh, food for thought if you're looking to make an impact in healthcare. So uh, great ways to get in touch with you. Appreciate that, Yerun. And uh, again, just want to say thanks for spending some time with us. It's been a lot of fun. I, I really thank you, Sol. And um, looking forward to seeing you again. Maybe not in Las Vegas, but <laughs> I'm sure we we'll, we'll see each other soon again. Thanks, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you, Jan. Bye.